Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. That do this, that interpret for the come on. Now, all together, Donald Trump. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 19th of July, year of our Lord, 2017. And you just heard Nancy Pelosi and Representative Barbara Lee on a stage literally saying, fuck Trump. The second sound you heard is an actual game. This is, I, I'm not even making this up. Kill Trump. Liberal celebs champion pushing Trump off a cliff game. The unhinged celebrity left is at it again. This time they are promoting a sick internet game in which people are encouraged to push Donald Trump off a cliff. On Saturday, the liberal Rosie O'Donnell pushed Trump off a cliff again. Other options include shoving the president in molten lava. That was the next thing you heard. Down a manhole. That's the next thing you heard. And then getting eaten by a dinosaur. I'm not even telling you the website. I'm sure Google will have it on top of its search results, all right? Um, so there's no need for that, but th- that's where we're at, okay? It was uh, basically the jo- Justin Hook, who made Bob's Burgers a TV show, he came up with it. Liberal movie star John Leguizamo also tweeted the, g- the game, all of this course happening in the wake of a deranged left-wing gunman shooting Republicans. To show that it's a theme, Rob Reiner, DT slash Russia, which will be the theme of the show that DT is Russia, Fox is Russia, everything's Russia. Uh, only reason GOP doesn't impeach is based, based lives in delusional bubble fed by DT, MSM protect democracy vigilance. Okay. Everybody call them meathead, which I liked a lot. So let's, uh, let's close the loop. What do you make of this laying on of hands and this embrace of Donald Trump um, by the evangelical right? 
for the Christian right. Yeah, and, and this very, very, very extreme agenda by Ryan and McConnell, it is a form of theological malpractice that borders on heresy. When you can P-R-A-Y for a president and others while they are P-R-E-Y, praying on the most vulnerable, you are violating the most sacred principles of religion. So when we have this extremist Trump uh, Republican agenda uh, that takes health care, transfers wealth to the greedy, that's hypocrisy and sin. Jesus, I, I, on a, you stay with us because, you know, the, the question I have then is why are all of the evangelical Christian voters so consistently voting for these policies that often hurt them when their religion that they profess, you know, that they follow mm -hmm. so reveres the poor and so talks about caring for the poor. You know, I, I well, actually, I there, to me, there's not a lot of hopeful things to say about this hypocrisy, but I actually want to point to something that I, I do think is hopeful about it, which is that I think it liberates the rest of us because for decades, this right-wing evangelical movement has tried to claim that they're doing things on behalf of some higher calling. And I think they're just revealing themselves to be just another power interest group in Washington, like the coal industry or teachers unions. And we should treat them as any other industry, jockeying for their influence and, and accord them no moral superiority on any public question. Yeah, it's still there. We, we talked about it for two podcasts. It's still there. And once again, as a liberal, I guess a liberal pastor, uh, I, I am not the most religious person, but I've read the Bible. I thought we don't judge, yes, ye be judged. That's the whole shtick. But, yeah, you see a lot of that with the Matthew Dowds and the left. I, I, it, I, I once again know that pastor. I've seen him on MSDNC on Morning Joy and all that shit. He's a, he's a race baiter. He's not a pastor. So, of course, he's going to say that. To the rhetoric, Brett Easton Ellis says he was called a Trump apologist while leaving L.A.'s Sunset Tower. Uh, the American psycho writer had people come up and yell at him. Um, and he said, you can't have a political discussion anymore. There's just too much insanity. And I agree with him. It's I, I just don't understand how crazy the left keeps getting. You'd think there'd be a plateau, but it just keeps coming. To Jim Acosta, Eric Trump smashed him this week. Suddenly CNN has a moral compass giving the debate questions to your preferred candidate ahead of time. Is that bad for our democracy? So, you know, he, he got on it, which I thought was cool because that didn't really go away. But I think Tony, Second Amendment lawyer, said the best. It's moral compass continually points west <laughs> to the left. And I think that's that's pretty funny. One of the greatest things I've ever seen this week, and, and you can actually find it um, on Reddit. There's a story that, well, it, it actually became a story. I started covering it yesterday. Didn't think much of it, but it became a story by this morning. Chris Saliza was doing an AMA on Reddit at noon. This tweet said, bring questions, I'll pack my answers. And I saw a Stephen Miller tweet, so Liz's Reddit AMA is not going well. And here are some of the questions he was getting at the time, and then I researched and I have more, but it, is there any possible political event that occurred that you wouldn't treat like a sports match? Hey, Chris, I'm looking to get into pundit game. I need a big story to do the end of a picture of your feet would be just perfect. Can you help me out? <laughs> that was Jim Acosta. Hey, The Fix, as I've asked before, please answer my question. Who are the biggest winners and losers in politics this week? Wear dim feet. <laughs> T. Beckett Adams 
tweeted something. Are you and Benny Johnson the same person in disguise? It was sort of gremlins thing where someone poured water on one of you or fed you too late at night and now you both exist. And I thought that was pretty good. Um, you didn't see a lot of answers. He started at first and then he literally just, just got buried. Um, Here's another one. Uh, are you proud of yourself? If not, is it for the same reasons I'm not proud of you? Dad, Saliza. <laughs> another, who is your immediate supervisor and your contact information to address the quality of your work? If shitty journalism and thief were both drowning in a lake and you could only save one, what would you save? And actually, uh, this one cracked me up. Hi, I'm Libby Watson. I'm a staff writer at F- Fusion. Why do you think so many other journalists think you suck um i i just was just cracked up um there was a story that i guess goes with it and it was about the clinton foundation and i mean this just goes on and on and and people just uh why do you think that is chris does the media as a whole in your case cnn need to do some self-reflection on the way news is reported he tried to baseball it out with a bunch of analogies. People just destroyed him. He used horse race. And and this went on for like strings. Uh, and somebody summed up his reply. I suck, but you don't have to read me, was his response. Um, let's see. Hi, Chris. It's Ashley Freinberg. My question is, how could you have possibly thought this would be a good idea? <laughs> and, and I don't think it was a good idea i think he kind of fucked himself on this one but um it was universal the right bushwhacked that shit and he walked away to illegal immigration mexican folk religion is involving human sacrifice gaining status among criminals they're killing people clad in a black nun's robe and holding a sith in one hand santa santa Murta reveals to people seeking all manners of otherworldly help for fending off wrongdoing carrying out vengeance on people uh devotees often use catholic prayers and set up shrines in her honor honor and this is like they're doing seminars on it it's pretty scary um and the the the, the news was a local kvue and they they uh they didn't have any local examples, but there was other ones out there that this is starting to happen. They're actually sacrificing people. Hmm. Uh, Pew Research, there's no country among the 37th survey in which a majority endorses a border wall between U.S. and Mexico. That was a thing this week for Pew Research, which is now starting to become more and more left-leaning. And they outright surveyed the world. They thought it was a good idea for us to protect our border. Why in the fuck would you think anybody would want that? Because we're all down with illegal immigration now. They can send their criminals here. Um, This one was huge on the left-leaning websites. ABC Politics. We covered Trudeau a couple podcasts ago. He met the two-month-old son of a Syrian refugee who named their child after him. Simultaneously, Tucker did an article on this, and it's pretty interesting. Take a listen. Crime doesn't pay. That's what they tell you in school. Though increasingly there's evidence that maybe it does in fact pay. Consider all those career politicians who somehow wind up rich in the end. 
And then there's Omar Kadar. If Kadar lived on your street, he'd probably be the richest guy in your neighborhood. How did he make his money? Well, first he joined the Taliban. During a firefight with U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan in 2002, Kadar threw a grenade that killed a Delta Force medic named Christopher Spear. For that, he went to Guantanamo Bay. He later pleaded guilty to murder there. Lucky for Kadar, he was born a Canadian citizen. So after being released from Gitmo, he sued the government of Canada for his imprisonment. And here's the remarkable thing. Canada settled with him. This month, Justin Trudeau's government awarded Kadar more than $10 million and issued an official apology for being mean to him. Prime Minister Trudeau later conceded he had not bothered to talk to Christopher Spears' widow before any of this. Instead, he defended the settlement as a win for human rights. Watch. I can understand Canadians' concerns uh, about the settlement. Uh, in fact, I, I share. As we covered on the last show, single payer, the country controls whether your dying kid gets coverage. And it, that was a Canadian. I mean, what the fuck? Trudeau is just a loser, and the left loves this guy. The media loves him. They'll keep doing puff pieces, but they're not going to cover that, you know, crime does pay. Interesting. PPFA News, Lauren Duca, 100% of the profits from this outrageous tank will be donated to Planned Parenthood. And Tucker Carlson's name, and, you know, she's still doing that fight with Tucker Carlson that we covered. I like my politics thigh high. It's just a ridiculously shitty shirt that, you know, people said, obviously, Planned Parenthood doesn't need taxpayer funding. I keep saying it, you know. We had Samantha B. do one. Now she's doing it. Go fund Planned Parenthood. Go fund it. It makes $1.5 billion. Its operating expenses is more than the $500 million the government gives it. Just go start selling T-shirts about how terrible the patriarchy is, and you guys will be good. Um, I think I said that backwards. <laughs> Matriarch. Anyway. Happy birthday to Asa Shakur. We've covered this last podcast. This is the Women's March. And once again, that's the lady who is a convicted killer of a New Jersey State cop. Uh, Katie Pavlik, Women's March isn't about women at all. It's instead it's about promoting a rabid Marxist leftist agenda. Um, this went all over. Dana Loesch nailed it. Um, Heritage Foundation, this terrorist murderer police officer and fled to Cuba where the brutal Castro regime kept him from justice. Uh, Dana Loesch did like five tweets. Liz Wheeler non-violent, then why don't you condemn Razmia Oda killing two Israelis or Linda Sasser calling for FGM or Ashada, Asada Shakur murdering a cop. Women's March is a non-violent movement. We've never and will never use a violence to achieve our goals. This is the Women's March. The far right is threatening by our movement, threatened by our movement and by our solidarity with other movements. Our power, your power scares the far right. They continue to try to divide us. Today's attack on Ashada occur, a latest example. Here's a brief refresher on who Ashada occur is and why we consider a feminist figure. Ashada occur is a civil rights leader. Let me just skim down. The ACLU Countel Pro was an effort to suppress domestic political dissent through an array of legal activities. Uh, she was under constant FBI surveillance through a program called Counter Pro. Counter Pro used illegal techniques to monitor and discredit civil rights groups. Counter Pro targeted MLK until assassination. Counter Pro, I got in 1973. Sure was involved in a shootout. She was wounded and New Jersey State Trooper and several other colleagues killed of her colleagues. Uh, Sada was arrested, tortured, and charged for the death of a state trooper. 
We see the decision to place Asada in a men's prison as a state-sponsored sexual assault. After two years, Shakur escaped from prison. She has been living in political asylum in Cuba. In 2013, she became the first woman ever to add the FBI. We say all this, not that Asada Kerr has never committed a crime and not to endorse all our actions. We say this demonstrates the ongoing history of government right-wing attempts to criminalize and discredit political activism. Yeah. They tripled down, or, or 20 down. That's a 20-tweet tirade. Not WokeLeaks. This is so good. We're not saying she didn't murder someone, merely that we like her anyway. And they retweeted it. Imagine the media's reaction of a Tea Party group tweeted about how they don't agree with Timothy McVeigh about everything, but... <laughs> that was uh, Sato Shikasutra. Renee Wu. Seth Mandel, she was a terrorist, but she demanded equality, except for the innocent people she believed in deserved to live. Now do Razmea Oda, who's the same thing. To show you how bad it is, I could show you like 30 tweets from celebrities. Mark Lamont Hill, happy birthday, he quoted her, and I believe that a lost ship steered by tired seasick sailors can still be guided home to port, Asada Shakur. He retweets her. Then he retweets a picture, a recent letter from Rashad Shakur is emerging in the United States. Let us give thanks for her life and her sacrifice. She sacrificed her life by going to a communist country. All right. Going to a communist country to avoid justice because she escaped from prison. So, of course, Marco Rubio said she's a piece of shit. But the one that blew me away was Jake Tapper. Shakur is a cop killer fugitive in Cuba. This is ugly sentiment from Lynn Sassauer, Dyke Marchi, and any progressive out there condemning this? Soul Star. Most people believe she is innocent of the charges. No, they don't. They believe she did nothing wrong. Jake Tapper back to her. Nope. Nick. Please, Lord, let me see some progressive elected officials going to the nearest camera they can find and condemning this. You, you won't. The squish independent Democrat used to be a Republican, got his feelings hurt by Trump, now he doesn't like him, Joe Scarborough. So does the resistance against Trump now embrace convicted cop killers on the FBI most wanted list? Democrats must condemn this now. Of course, they don't. And it took 24 hours for anybody to cover it. NJ.com, New Jersey real-time news. Our first Women's March occur story from a non-conservative outlet. They didn't condemn it. They just finally covered it. Linda Sassauer, Jake Tapper joins the ranks of the alt-right to target me online. Mr. Tapper, please share my ugly sentiments. Unapologetically Muslim, unapologetically Palestinian, pro-immigrant, pro-justice, shame. Your comment about Ayan, the one we've read that she hopes her genitalia gets ripped off. I, I only cover this because it would be a cold day in Hades. The right could get away with this. So, the Chicago Dyke March organizer led to demotion of journalists' claims friend. Gretchen Rachel Hammond was bullied after reporting on removal of a Jewish gay pride flag in a June rally, says Miriam Church. The New York Times didn't cover it. WAPO didn't cover it. Nobody covered it, but the Dyke March, and I do believe 
the reporter was a transgender. Yeah. New York Times did cover a Saudi woman who posted a video of herself in a miniskirt was arrested and turned over to the prosecutor's office. Yeah. Those are the Muslims you cuddle up to, Women's March. Go. Figure it. And to show that some of this shit is so stupid, just so stupid, if, if we're such a feminist country, how in the name of Zeus's ass crack can Susan Rice have a net worth of $50 million? Her maximum salary was 172000 How? 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 I don't understand. So the New York Times had a fair and balanced Sunday review. Ban conservative speech, mock GOP's Trump hallucination. An entire thing on rhetoric. I'm not going to read it. This, this... It's just a huge article that tells us that it's still the right hate speech. Nothing about the left. Nothing about the Women's March literally recognizing a convicted cop killer of being awesomeness. To the no broadcast freaking... Press briefings. ABC literally has a post-briefing show where they can get FaceTime because it became such a big thing, they don't want to lose it. David Martosco, a new show purely about the White House press briefing is a splendid argument for ending White House press briefings. They were so butthurt that they can't get on TV that they're starting a show, which shows it's not about freedom of speech. It's not about the American people getting information. It's about those little prima donnas getting FaceTime. Just FaceTime. And that, my friends, is crazy. Crazy. Here's some sound bites. Kind of cover off what we've been talking about in the last couple podcasts. Joan Walsh actually saying the GOP is wrong for attacking the media. She's part of the media. She's a hack. CNN Angela Rye. He is not my president. Bernstein, Fox, has ruined America. And Allison Camarada, all women should wear hijabs. We're going to end this podcast with Allison Camarado working for a Pulitzer or a Grammy, I can't figure. She's left Twitter because she's gotten her ass handed to her since she uh, liberally edited all those Trump voter questions and answer sessions. Enjoy. Let's, let's, let's be honest about what's happened here. Many people on the right, Sarah Palin, uh, going all the way back to Spiro Agnew, uh, have been hammering the media for decades. Uh, Donald Trump uh, did what he does, which is to take those things to the extreme, and they've had an impact. People don't trust the media, especially followers of Donald Trump. So we are more and more, more and more than ever, we have a media that's speaking 
to half the country or a third of the country or how, however you divide it up, um, there is an increasing number of people uh, that the media is just not going to reach. Uh, and even though we believe, Washington Post and MSNBC, I'm sure, we believe that we, um, we get it right. Uh, and when we don't get it right, we do correct it. Um, those sort of claims and that sort of integrity is not appreciated or valued or uh, people just don't agree with it. So I don't know exactly um, exactly how this, uh, the end game here, exactly how this is going to end up hurting the country, but it's already starting. Um, and I believe that we're just losing a factual, common factual ground. And it, it, it's frightening to watch. We've kind of moved into the George Orwell era where uh, hate is love, war is peace. As an historian, I can say with some confidence that when we reach the denouement of all this, just as in Watergate, it's not going to be the press, but it's going to be the apologists for this administration that are going to wind up on the scrap heap of history. Keep telling the truth. As an historian, I can assure you, eventually the truth will out. You can only maintain the cover-up for so long, and everything this administration is doing has all the hallmarks of a Nixon-type cover-up. Well, and, and Joan, quickly, that's what I want to say. What can the media do? Exactly Any what it's doing. No, nothing. Nothing. This is this is a game. It does go back to Spiro Agnew. It may go back farther than that. But the the right in this country has claimed for a long time that the media is liberal. You know, making up a lot of it, some of it true. Uh, and it's got, Trump. You know, weaponized it. Took it. Took it to a whole new level. But we're also seeing that his supporters believe him, and and they go along with whatever he thinks. For. You know, they John, don't think Putin's a bad guy anymore. They don't think Russia, this Russia story is a story. So you can't think about it. You just do your job, as Alan says. Yeah, yeah, right. telling the truth. John yeah. is right. I okay. If indeed that is the case on the Ukrainian side, I will stand with you and say no one should be receiving information to, 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 to overthrow or to thwart election results. Absolutely. Donald. But right now we're talking about your but, president. There are a lot of things that your president has done to defy logic. Let's at least acknowledge Your president that. too, Angela. Well, your, he's president your president too. The president of the United States. Angela Rye, Jack Kingston, great to have you both. It's a long process, right? Carl, go ahead. Sorry, Len. Yeah, two things. The difference between Watergate and now, one of the big differences is that we are in the midst of a cold civil war in this country, a political and cultural civil war, and all of our reporting is taking place in the context of that cold civil war, and nothing quite like that existed at the time of Watergate. And that part, part of the cold civil war itself is the configuration of media with Fox News, with CNN being perceived by different sets of viewers as representing different truths, uh, when in fact Fox uh, has changed American politics as perhaps no institution has since its invention in 1996. Uh, our politics has been changed inalterably by this right-wing counterforce, whatever you want to call Fox News, but also cable news itself is a different form 
than we had during the time of Watergate. We didn't see reporters on television discussing their stories. We do go farther on the air now by having reporters from the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, expand on their stories on the air so that there is a visual component that listeners and viewers at home are seeing. They're getting more interpretive information. It is a different media universe, and it's a cauldron taking place in this hothouse of political debate in which a fact-based debate is becoming impossible in this culture, and that's part of the difficulty here. We're just lobbing accusations back and forth uh, in which a fact-based environment uh, is almost impossible to maintain as long as the principles are willing to engage in the kind of rhetoric and lying that we have seen in this uh, exchange of late. I and that's the tease for our next segment. Source. If you don't mind, Carl and I'll bring you both back. It's uh, an interesting story. Maybe there'll be a movement where people wear the headscarf in solidarity. You know, even if you're not Muslim, maybe it's the way people shave their head, you know, sometimes in solidarity with somebody who's going through something. Maybe you'll see a wave of the opposite happening. I think self-defense training is good for everybody. Yes, I know you're a big proponent of that. I believe it. Prepare yourself for whatever can come. All right, so it is... They're, they are so jacked up. Just so jacked up. Oh, I, I don't even know what to say anymore. I, I just don't know what to say. Superheroes are almost single-handedly saving the U.S. box office. We talked about a couple of movies last podcast... Right now, without them, it would be horrible. And I, I really, truly believe, when you look at the numbers, uh, box office receipts are down 7.7% between May and June compared with the same period last year. And Beauty and the Beast made uh, $500 million. But everything else, I mean, like Spider-Man's done 150 maybe. They're the worst Lego movie. I mean, movies are really falling away. Um, I think the streaming has really, really put an impact on the movie theater. And plus the simple fact that you, you're spending 50 bills or 50 bills, 50 bucks, you know, to get into, get in there. It's like $25 for two tickets. And then you spend another, but it's $22 for two tickets through, uh, Fandango. And then you're going to spend close to 30 for popcorn. I mean, that's every movie. So me and the wife, we, we only go to the ones that are really, really good. To Game of Thrones, which we covered, Winter is Here was crazy. Uh, previous high for the series ever was 8.89 million. And that's not talking all the streaming. We're just talking, uh, on, TV live, you know, Nielsen rating type shit. And that was for season six finale. Dragonstone, which was Sunday's show, was 10.1 million. And they estimate another six million and same DVR playback. I was one of the 10 million because we watched it live, but that's, that's insane. You know, 20 million views is a lot for a TV show. And I'll close. With something I've never said on the show, and then uh, we'll go into segment one. I've never agreed with Pat Buchanan much. Pat Buchanan's like an old school guy, but he said something this week that I, I he did a whole op-ed, and I just loved it. 
and I, and I jotted down this line. The real collusion is between the media and the leakers. That's the collusion in the whole Russia thing. It's not really Russia and Trump. So, thought that was interesting. So, let's go into segment one. Great article by Maureen Dowd. The Game of Trump. kind of surmises the media it's it's well <clears throat> and what we said on the last podcast with them saying they want uh Aya Starks to be the resistance motto but the, or their flag bearer or whatever the fuck with that idiot freaking Nora Tandon I, I had to read this once again, Marine Dowd, New York Times. Wicked siblings willing to do anything for power, secret, secret deals with sworn enemies, the shock of a dead body, a wall, foreign bods, guns for hires, and snakes, backstabbing betrayal and charges of treason, little birds spying and tattling, a maniacal mad king and his court of scheming self-absorbed princesses and princelings, swathed in the finest silk and the most brazenly immorality, ruling with total disregard for the good of their people. The night in Washington is dark and full of terrors. The game of Trump has brought a pagan lawlessness never before seen in the capital. So far in life, Donald Trump has survived and thrived on the same philosophy espoused by Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. But in the rampant deception and corruption in this gaudy, jangly realm about to engulf the Emperor Chaos, this is a grisly endgame for Cersei in the King's Landing and Donald in Washington. A talent to distract on Twitter, our Joffrey-like president will learn it's not the same as the ability to walk through fire. The crowds are swelling, yelling, shame, shame, shame. Hugging their tattered brand, the family tried for a respite this week. Ivanka and Jared fled to Sun Valley to hang out with the global elite at Herb Allen's conference. After escaping to the City of Light for Bastille Day, poor battered Sean Spicer had to settle for a party at the French Embassy there. Trump and Melania are going to his Bedman Club to attend the U.S. Women's Open held there. Trump always inflates his numbers using his own special brand of ego arithmetic, but Don Jr. and Jared have been busy deflating their numbers. Don Jr. poo-pooed the meeting, revealed the New York Times scoop that he met with Natalia, blah, blah, blah. The, I don't want to read it. First, we learned there were six, not four people in the meeting, including a lobbyist, blah, blah, blah. Don Jr. was not ashamed that he gleefully met with the Russians to collect dirt on Hillary Clinton, blah, blah, blah. Jared Kirstner had to amend his list of foreign contacts three times with a hundred names, blah, blah, blah. No one in Washington, a land, a land intimately familiar with obnoxious, op- op- oppressive forms, believed that as Vox noted, but the thing is, there isn't one send button for this kind of security clearance form. There are 28. 
As theater, the Trump saga is spectacular with a dazzling collection of fools and jesters. Who could make up Rob Goldstone, the rotund, vodka-swilling, chocolate-inhaling British publicist who liked to party at the Russian Tea Room? The Daily Beats recalled that back in the 80s when Goldstone represented John Denver and Michael Jackson, he went to Ethiopia for Band-Aid as a rock concert to help famine victims and managed to gain seven pounds. As he explained to Sydney Morning Herald, I mean, what else is there to do in a country like Ethiopia but eat? And the 2010 Goldstone wrote an essay in the Times on the tricks and trials of traveling while fat. And she goes on, <laughs> whatever, Bob. Kautzowitz Propublica reports has a drinking problem, breaks this down. In an interview with reporters on Air Force One on the way to Paris, President Trump once more tried to deflect blame from Russia for the election hacks. And I'm not saying it wasn't Russia, he said. What I'm saying is that we have to protect ourselves no matter who it is. You know, China is very good at this. I hate to say it, North Korea is very good at this also. He bragged about his cunning when he brought up the hacks with Putin. After citing it once, Trump said, I then said to him again in a totally different way. Wow, that must have really outfoxed the lethal former KGB agent. You know nothing, Donald Trump. Trump defended his beleaguered eldest son, who is the same age as Emmanuel Macron. As a good boy, Donald Jr. certainly learned Trump family values. In the immortal words of villainous Ramsey Bolton on the Game of Thrones... If you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. And that was her article. And I, I, I had to read it. I just had to read that this is a perfect example of how cutesy they have gotten in the media and how obsessed with fantasy TV shows the left is. It is just Inconceivable that the New York Times, the paper record, would write an article about that to bash Trump. At any time, had anybody done that in any conservative newspaper, where there are very few, or on any conservative network. I mean, for God's sake, Hannity called him the anointed one, and that was racist for eight years. It's just unbecoming. The media has become unbecoming. They are just a hot mess. And I, I'm embarrassed. I'm just embarrassed. When I think it can't go lower, they go and get a shovel. To a music break, segment two, that global warming stuff. Yeah, the data's bullshit.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Well, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. President Trump announced this afternoon that the United States will be pulling out of the Paris Agreement. That's an international agreement intended to combat global warming by reducing greenhouse gas emissions. The United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. We're getting out. I was elected to represent the citizens of Pittsburgh, not Paris. Wow, that did it. The left immediately became hysterical, even more than usual. Keep in mind that this was a non-binding, unenforceable agreement whose effects, even if every nation involved followed the agreement to the letter, cannot be known with any precision. It doesn't matter. The world just ended, literally, as they say. Billionaire Democratic donor Tom Steyer described Trump's decision as, quote, assault and battery on the future of the American people. CNN warned its viewers to expect mass extinctions, flooding in the streets of New York City, the physical annihilation of the Marshall Islands. The ACLU, meanwhile, somehow concluded that leaving the agreement was, and this is a quote, a massive step back for racial justice and an assault on communities of color. Didn't explain how. And then there was cable news. My gosh, the long faces, the grave intonations, the florid and outraged proclamations. It was like somebody died, millions of them actually. On a sunny day in the Rose Garden, what could be defined and construed as a dark speech? This will be the day that the United States resigned as the leader of the free world. I have such rage and sadness. Uh, we just watched a dangerous little man give a very, very scary speech. One of the most bleak depictions of America's role in the world as uh, environmental partners. So he is not helping the forgotten American. He is hurting them. Their kids will have worse asthma in the summer. The president who talked about putting America first has now put America last. Well, we're no longer obviously talking about science here. What you're watching is a priesthood defending its faith. The essence of science, meanwhile, is skepticism. That's relentlessly testing what you think you know to make certain you actually know it. People who ran the space program didn't know everything, and they knew it. That's not happening here. It's not allowed. Press for explanations as to what they're talking about, and you're attacked as immoral, a denier. The matter is settled. Every word immutable and holy. Questions equal apostasy. Shut up and believe. The irony is that almost none of the religious figures you saw sermonizing on television today actually know much about the Paris Agreement beyond the bullet points they've been handed by their producers ten minutes before. What's in it? Do they have any idea? And if so, why haven't they told us till now? Before today, most of the people you just saw spent far more time yammering about Clockboy and transgender bathrooms than about climate accords. So what is in the agreement? Well, there are a lot of things in the agreement, and a few of them are worth knowing. First, if the U.S. were to stick with this accord, we'd be pledging to cut our greenhouse gas production by at least 26% below the levels it was in 2005. That's a big reduction, and it's not expected of China, India, or other huge polluting countries who, by the way, happen to be our chief economic rivals. Under the Paris Agreement, rich nations like the United States agree to send $100 billion to poorer countries every year starting in 2020 to aid with their transition to green energy. President Obama pledged $3 billion to this fund. China, meanwhile, has not pledged a cent, the world's biggest polluter. In fact, China is likely to receive some of this money. 
Keep in mind the Chinese economy is predicted to overtake our economy in less than a year from right now, but somehow we ought to subsidize their energy production? That is lunacy. It's masochism. We've already guessed how we're supposed to pay for all of this, higher energy costs here. Americans would pay more for gas, more for electricity, more in taxes, all in the name of meeting obligations that other countries don't have to meet. If you want to know how all of this might end, look across the Atlantic. European electricity, and some people actually care what it costs, there costs three times as much as it does here, and the prices are rising faster there as well. Despite all of this, even supporters of the agreement concede, the ones who actually know what's in it, there aren't many, that it won't come close to stopping global warming even if everyone abided by the terms. Now, there are counter-arguments to this, of course, in favor of the treaty. There always are, and some of them are legitimate. That's the point. This is a debate. It's a big deal. A lot is at stake for Americans who, by and large, know nothing of the details. Shouldn't Congress have a chance to debate this and vote on it like they're supposed to? Actually, they already had that chance. It came in 2009. President Obama had a Democratic House and a Senate supermajority that year. The people now telling you that global warming is an existential threat to the world, that everyone will die if we don't get a handle on it, had more power at that moment than at any time since the New Deal in the 30s. And they could have done something about global warming, openly and democratically. Did they? No. They focused on passing the stimulus package, Obamacare, Dodd-Frank. Well, since that year, American voters have consistently elected majorities for whom global warming is not a priority. Because outside of affluent pockets and a relatively small number of zip codes, global warming itself is not a top priority for the American public, not even close. Maybe it should be, but it's not. And that's how democracy works. The public gets to decide what is most important. Now, the people in charge disagree with it. They don't care what voters think. They lost interest in democracy a long time ago, and they're no longer hiding that fact. They don't believe you should be consulted before they change your life forever. And mostly, they don't bother to consult you, except today. For once, they didn't get their way, and of course, they're hysterical about it. Maybe now they'll have to make a real argument on behalf of what they believe before imposing it by force on you. And that's the way the system is supposed to work. I think Tucker pretty much sums up the craziness. But Tyler Durden put out, Research team slams global warming data and new report, not reality, totally inconsistent with credible temperature data. As world leaders, namely in Europe, European Union, attack President Trump for pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement, in which would have saddled America with billions upon billions of dollars in debt and economic losses, a new bombshell report that analyzed global average surface temperature gassed provided by NASA, the NOAA, and Hadley, proves the president was right on target with his refusal to be part of the new initiative. According to the report, which has been peer-reviewed by administrators, scientists, and researchers from the U.S. Environmental Protected Agency, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and several of America's leading universities in data, the data is completely bunk. In this research report, the most important surface data adjustment issues are identified and past changes in the previously reported historical data are quantified. It was found that each new version of gas had nearly always exhibited a steeper, warmer, linear trend over its entire history. And it was nearly always accomplished by systematically removing the previously existing clinical temperature pattern. That means they were just making it worse every time by removing the previous. This was true for all three entities providing gas data measurements, NOAA, NASA, and Hadley CRU. 
As a result, this research sought to validate the current estimates of gas using the best available relevant data. This included the best documented and understood data sets from the U.S. and elsewhere, as well as the global data from satellites that provide far more extensive global coverage and are not contaminated by bad sighting and urbanization impacts. Satellite data integrity also benefits from having cross-check with balloon data. The conclusive findings of this research are that the three gas data sets are not valid representations of reality. In fact, the magnitude of their historical data adjustments that remove their clinical temperature patterns are totally inconsistent with published incredible U.S. and other temperature data. Thus, it is impossible to conclude from the three published gas data sets that recent years have been the warmest ever, despite current claims of record-setting warming. Finally, since gas data said validity is a necessary condition for EPA's GHG CO2 endangerment finding, it too is invalidated by these research findings. Of course, this won't stop global climate normalcy deniers from saying it's all one big conspiracy to destroy all the Earth. They'll naturally argue that data adjustments to the temperature needs to be made from a variety of reasons, which is something the report doesn't dispute. What it does show, however, is that these adjustments always prove to be to the upside, always warmer, never cooler. While the notion that some adjustments to historical data might need to be made and not challenged, logically it would be expected that such historical temperature data adjustments would sometimes raise these temperatures and sometimes lower them. This situation would mean that the impact of such adjustments on the temperature trend line slope is uncertain. However, each new version had a steeper, warmer, warming linear trend. In short, the evidence has been falsified. It is therefore quite clear that the data has been intentionally tampered with. Since this has formed the basis for plans to steal literally trillions of dollars and has already resulted in the forced extraction of hundreds of billions in aggregates from motorists and industry, this quite clearly constitutes the largest economic fraud ever perpetuated in the world. I call for the indictment and prosecution of every person or organization involved in stripping all of them to their literal underwear. The real data looks something like this. It's sizably below one. All of it. Right now they're saying we're at 1.2 Celsius increase. It's actually 0.9 increase. With a downfall, they say we've gone down over this last year in 2017 to 0.7, but it's actually 0.5. The established along with the fanatical global warming myriads continue to push the need for massive costly initiatives to reduce greenhouse gases and global temperature to normal levels. The problem, of course, is that there is no global warming according to the above reference report. Moreover, none of these supporting the Paris Climate Agreement and other initiatives have any idea what these behemoth regulations will eventually do to curb climate change, as evidenced by the following video of a Miami Beach mayor, Philip Levine, who despite his best efforts, can't seem to figure out exactly how these agreements actually lower temperatures and help Americans. I believe there has been climate change. There has been shifts in patterns. It's been warmer in some areas, cooler than others areas. The whole ice is all melting is false. NASA had to put it out. South and North Pole actually increased. Water levels have not rise to the levels they said it was going to be. 
Folks, this is a political shell game. This is wealth redistribution on a just a global level. And, and what I don't understand is, <clears throat> during the healthcare debate this week, which I'm not covering because it's over, you know that because the media has beat it in your head, uh, the conversation is about adjusting Medicare money and how we're going to screw everything up. And that tax cuts to give more money to people is a horrible thing. But yet, the progressive movement literally, literally, they, they actually want to give billions and billions of dollars to the world. It's like we're an endless pit of money. Just an endless pit of money. And I, I'm just totally shocked when I read this. And this isn't the first time. There have been three or four studies by scientists, not conservatives, that have showed that the gas has been adjusted every time and fudged to make it look worse, to prove political points. And as we saw when the president took office, how Department of EPA and all them went crazy, posted crazy shit, attacked the president. It's like a fucking cult over there. But his point about how this impacts us from the incredible taxation you pay on gas and electricity down to all the regulations that hand us penalties for living in a developed world. It's scary if you think it's all based on fudge numbers. There has been an increase and gassed. But when you compare it to times in the Earth's cycle, it's not as extreme as they say. Because remember, in the 70s and 80s, we were supposed to be in an ice age. Then we were supposed to be underwater. Al Gore put out a second movie. It's still coming. Winter is coming. It's just like Game of Thrones. So I had to cover this because you're not going to see it anywhere else. It ain't fake. And you really need to think before you take a big drink of the climate change Kool-Aid. Attorney General Jeff Sessions gave a speech this week to a group of Christian lawyers, a group called the Alliance Defending Freedom, the ADF. It concerns itself mostly with protecting religious liberty And that's pretty much what the Attorney General talked about when he spoke to them. But that is not at all what the press reported. Here's the headline from ABC News. Quote, Jeff Sessions addresses anti-LGBT hate group. Over at NBC News, there was this. Jeff Sessions tells hate group DOJ will issue religious freedom guidance. You would have thought it was a cross-burning, which of course was the entire point of those headlines to give you the impression that it was. In fact, the Alliance Defending Freedom takes positions that are not so very different from the ones Barack Obama ran on in 2008 or that Bill and Hillary Clinton publicly espoused throughout the 1990s. How did this get branded a hate group? Well, by the Southern Poverty Law Center, of course, a totally discredited but extremely rich left-wing organization that for decades has tried to shut down legitimate debate by labeling ideas it disagrees with as hate speech. Among the organizations it has designated a hate group, the American College of Pediatricians. 
hardly the Klan. But thanks to the Southern Poverty Law Center, they are now in the same category as the Klan in many news stories. Deeply dishonest and unfair, but there's a bigger point. At stake here is one of the most basic questions of all. Who decides what we get to talk about? What should you be allowed to say in public? What should your kids be allowed to learn in school? Which ideas are legitimate and which ideas are so dangerous we must suppress them? Well, NBC News and the Southern Poverty Law Center think they're in charge of that decision. We disagree, which is why we're pleased tonight to be joined by someone who was actually at the Jeff Sessions speech, Kristen Wagoner. She's vice president of Alliance Defending Freedom. Kristen, thanks a lot for coming on tonight. Oh, thanks so, for having me. At, you all argue cases pretty routinely before the Supreme Court. As a hate group, how do you get inside the Supreme Court? <laughs> well, we're not a hate group because what we do know is that Americans deserve to have ethically sound reporting. And what they got from ABC and NBC is journalistic malpractice. Alliance Defending Freedom has actually won seven cases in the last seven years before the Supreme Court. And none of it had to do with any LGBT issues. In fact, we won a case just two weeks ago involving the right of a church preschool to be treated equally by the state. And we've litigated more cases than any other organization, protecting the rights of free speech on campus for students. In fact, over 400 legal victories have been chalked up by us. So I think the real question is, why is ABC and NBC willing to promote propaganda and cut and paste the Southern Poverty Law Center press release into its story when the left and the right have discredited this other organization? Calling you a hate group for having basically the same position Barack Obama had when he ran for re-election in 2012, which not 1912, 2012, and you're a hate group for having a position similar to that. Did you complain to ABC and NBC over this? Yes, we are complaining, and fortunately there are others complaining on our behalf, too. We've demanded an apology and a retraction of the story. Again, it's nothing more than propaganda, and it's concerning that they would use Southern Poverty Law Center as a source when they have already said that they will attack anyone that opposes their leftist ideology. I don't know if you know this, Tucker, but they've actually opposed and put on their list veterans. They put on their list Catholics, Muslims who oppose terrorism, and even nuns have made this list. They're about shutting down debate and making millions in a direct mail marketing scam. Well, they certainly are, and they have been for decades and decades. What's surprising, though, is after all the stories, the exposés that have run on the Southern Poverty Law Center, Politico just had one. I wrote one 20 years ago. There's really no question what it is. It's a scam. But they are taken seriously by purportedly serious news organizations still. Why is that? Well... I think, again, it's because Americans are losing trust in the media just for this very reason. The SPLC has said they're about attacking enemies and shutting down free speech for those that don't agree with them. So, again, it underscores the fact that these networks would use this as a source instead of using sources that the federal government has said are reliable and that the right and the left rely on. Well, um, it does bring us what people believe. I mean, I, here's what I object to is the name-calling. So, obviously... The reporters who wrote these stories disagree with your views. Fine. But why not just explain what your views are and allow readers to come to their own conclusions rather than dismissing you or likening you to the Klan, of all things? Exactly. I mean, if you look at our record, our record speaks for itself. We've played a role in 52 Supreme Court victories over the course of our ministry, and we have a case pending right now, and we just won one. And these cases are not focused on anything other than protecting the rights of all Americans. 
no matter what their faith is, no matter what their walk of life is, all Americans to speak freely and live consistent with their convictions. And well, that includes people that are with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Exactly. I guess, I mean, it's one thing if someone disagree with you, um, but to be called a member of a hate group is not something I'd want on my Wikipedia page, as ludicrous as it might be. I no, I wouldn't want that. I don't think most people would want that. You know, your neighbors look it up and you're part of a hate group. I mean, there's a cost to that, a personal cost to that, isn't there? There is a cost to it, and that's why we're fighting back. In the, you know, we want to make sure that we're engaging in civil discourse and not stooping to the level of SPLC with name calling. But again, we would challenge the media and anyone else to look at the record of these organizations. We're about representing people of all walks of life. We're a well-respected advocacy organization before the United States Supreme Court, and they are about putting millions of dollars in an offshore account and attacking anyone that doesn't agree with their leftist ideology. Right. It's but, wrong, it's un-American and unconstitutional. But the fact that NBC is uncritically repeating their propaganda is just absolutely shameful, and I hope they're ashamed of this. Kristen, thank you very much for that. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Oh, it's that touchy subject again, homosexuality. The media myths of homosexual transgender agenda. And that's why I played the Tucker soundbite. I know it's a little long, but that happened this week. And I went to their website. They're not a hate group. They're a Christian group. But of course, wrapped up inside all of this is the fact that Christians are evil. And you'll read nice tweets from guys like Matt Dowd that, you know, while uh, Christians are bashing transgenders, they're smoking and drinking and whatever. So this is a rather large article. I'm going to kind of grab pieces of it and then go into a scientific study that you're not born gay and we'll get off it. But of late, there's been a lot of transgenderism stuff and a lot of gay still going. The, The gay agenda is still at it, even though they got gay marriage. It's not about that. As I've said a million times on this show, it's about you must believe their beliefs. And if you're a Christian, you don't persecute people. You don't treat them differently, but you don't believe in their dogma, and thus you must be persecuted. The purpose of the report is to expose, refute some of the long-standing statistical lies and propagandistic myths of the LGBT cosinophore activist movement. With media support, homosexual and leftist activists now openly campaign to banish dissenting conservative voices. This dangerous dynamic gives the homosexual transgender lobby nearly full reign to advance his agenda, which now includes levying large fines to punish Christians and traditionalists who do not want to participate in their weddings, criminalizing pro-heterosexual change therapy for sexually confused minors, using the government to force schools and business to allow transgenders use public restrooms, using LGBT non-discrimination laws to mandate that public schools and businesses punish anyone who does not adhere to politically correct transgender-inclusive pronouns, taxpayer funding for horrifying body-disfiguring sex reassignment surgeries, allowing transsexuals in the U.S. military paying for the destructive gender-bending surgeries. They worded this very to a point to annoy people, encouraging young people to adopt opposite-sex gender identities, even going so far as to encourage underage children to take hormones, which we covered as horrible, teaching very young children, even kindergarten, to accept homosexuality and radical transgender ideas that they can choose a gender instead of being who they are. So a wash in the public is pro-homosexual propaganda that a 211 Gallup poll found the average American guesstimated that the whopping 25% of the population is gay, 
Women and people under 30 put the number even higher, about 30%. The actual percentage of homosexual men, lesbians, and bisexuals in the U.S. is 2.3. That's the study he uses. Remember on the show, we're going 5.7, the average of GLADS, and the average of this 2.3, and 0.7% for transgenders, which shows it's very small. First is the 10% myth. The 10% myth is one of the most enduring propaganda claims of the homosexual activist movement. Concocted in the late 70s by Bruce Voller, founder of the National Gay Task Force, and today's National LGBTQ Task Force, it was accompanied by the slogan, We Are Everywhere. Thus, just as gay militants pressured and bullied American mental health professionals removing homosexuality from its mental disorder list, and the media duly cooperated by promoting the statistical sham. For decades, American reporters treated the 10% claim a misreading of deviant pioneering sexologist Alfred Kinsley discredited his research. The 10% myth served its purpose of projecting enormous gay political strength when the movement was still weak. But study after study came up with estimates of homosexual bisexual population of under 5%. A massive 2014 survey of 35,557 Americans by the Federal National Center for Health Statistics dealt a blow to the 10% claim. It found that only 1.6% of them polled identify as gay, while 0.7% said they were bisexual. In 2011, pro-LGBT Williams Institute at UCLA estimated that 0.3% identified as transgender. Thus, a combined estimate of homosexual, bisexual, and transgender in America is about 3%. That's where they get their numbers. Born gay, no way. Another popular gay activist myth is the notion that homosexuals are born that way. This convenient narrative, stoked for many years by the LGBT advocates, take morality out of homosexual debate by suggesting that homosexuals are not responsible for their sexual behaviors because they're born that way. From a scientific perspective, however, the born gay myth, like its bogus 10% gay counterpart, has fallen on hard times. In the 90s, talk of a gay gene was all the rage after then-closeted homosexual researcher Dean Hammer published a media baloney, Bollywood, excuse me, 93 study in the journal Science purporting to find a genetic marker. But science could not replicate its own study, and others' attempts fails as well. Now, genetic homosexuality is no longer in vogue, although the possibility of a gay gene still excites reporters. The most serious blow to the gay gene theory has come from identical twin studies, one used to promote the idea of inborn homosexuality. They are now widely seen as demonstrating the opposite. Dr. Neil Whitehead, one of the world's leading conservative research on the issue, states, from six studies from 2000 to 11, if an identical twin had the same sex attraction, the chance of the co-twin has it too are only about 11% for men and 40% for women. Because they have identical DNA coordinates on sexual orientation, it ought to be 100%. So that proved that wasn't true. Childhood trauma and gayness. Finally, some researchers are coming forth with alternative theories linking the development of adult homosexual identity to childhood trauma incest, child molestation. Interestingly, two prominent openly homosexual TV personalities, Don Lemon and Thomas Roberts, were sexually assaulted as boys by homosexual adult premoners. In a 2015 study led by Keith Beard and published in journal Cognate Psychology found that same-sex sibling incest 
also significantly increased the likelihood that participants would self-identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or questioning. Notably, the author of the study took pains to issue a gay affirmation disclaimer. Our results were consistent with the idea that sexual orientation of adults cannot be changed. It is not cruel to tell a man who was raped as a boy by an adult pervert or seducing into incestuous sex by an older brother that he is now destined to be stuck with a deviant and immoral sexual identity for the rest of his life. Their words, not mine. With so many ex-gays like Dennis Jernigan proclaiming freedom from past homosexuality, how can anyone, journalist, gay activist, or scholar, claim that adults cannot change their sexual orientation? For those that are being offended... I read all your stuff all the time. This article is the opposite, and I think it needs to be heard because you don't hear this because it's right. It's media myths. The board gay myth is still popular. Tragically, despite growing ev- evidence, half of Americans surveyed still believe homosexuals are born that way in a 2015 Gallup poll. Gallup has polled on this and other homosexual issues every year since 1977. It's initially only 13% believed it, while 56 person believe it by 2013, or didn't believe it. By 2013, the findings was 51. Now it's blown up, or it's still 51. Homosexuals can change. There's no truth despised by homosexual activists more than the simple reality that people who were once lived as gay or lesbian or transgender can change and live honorably according to natural, creative purpose of their bodies before God. Homosexual activists continue to assert that people cannot change their sexual orientation, ignoring that many testimonies of people like Stephen Black and Dr. Rosarie Butterfield who have overcome it and gone back to being straight. Dangerous sex reassignment surgeries. Walt Heyer is a former transsexual who went through, and I won't cover this section, we already read it last week, he has it. Transgenderism harms children. You hear the opposite in the media, but we've already proven on the show it's bad. In this article, once again, I want to read this section because this is a lot of data. Another subgroup consists of young men and women susceptible to suggestions from everything is normal. Sex education amplified by internet chat groups. These are the transgender subjects most likely anorexia nervosa patients. They become persuaded that seeking a drastic physical change will banish their psychosocial problems. Diversity counselors in their schools, rather like cult leaders, may encourage these young people to distance themselves from their families and offer advice on rebuttal arguments against having transgender surgery. Then there is a subgroup of very young, often prepubescent children who notice distinct sex roles in the culture and exploring how to fit in begin imitating the opposite sex. Misguided doctors at medical centers, including Boston's Children's Hospital, have begun trying to treat this behavior by administering puberty to delayed hormones to render latter sex change surgeries less onerous, even though the drugs stunt the children's growth and risk causing sterility. Given that close to 80% of such children would abandon their confusion and grow naturally in adult life, if untreated, these medical interventions come close to chill child abuse. Once again, the 80% rule. To echo, to echo Dr. McHugh's warning, the American College of Pediatricians, a pro-family alternative to the reliable pro-homosexual American Academy of Pediatricians, recently put out an outstanding statement. Gender ideology harms children. We read it on the show. 
Puberty is not a disease, and puberty-blocking hormones can be dangerous. According to the DSMV, the APA's Diagnostic Manual for Mental Disorders, as many as 98% of the gender-confused boys and 88% of the gender-confused girls eventually accept their biological sex and naturally pass through puberty. That's where they get the 80%. 98 and 88. Children who use puberty blockers to impersonate the opposite sex will require cross-sex hormones in late adolescent. Cross-sex hormones are associated with dangerous health risk, high blood pressure, blood clots, stroke, and cancer. Rate of suicides are 20 times greater among adults who use cross-sex hormones and undergo sex reassignment surgery. Even Sweden said it, which we covered on the show, conditioning children into believing that a lifetime of chemical and surgical impersonation of the opposite sex is normal and healthy is child abuse. Children of homosexuals and transgenders suffer. Homosexual activists rely on gay-authored research with sloppy methodology to claim that there is no difference between homosexual and normal mom and dad households and sometimes assert that gay-led parenting is superior to traditional. But again, the facts suggest otherwise. James Brian Hall, citing the work of Catholic University sociologist Professor Dr. Paul Sullins, who analyzed data from the Federal National Health Interview Survey from 97 to 2013, controlling for child sex, age, and race, and parent education and income, Dr. Sullins finds that children of parents in same-sex relationships fare significantly worse than those of opposite-sex parents. On 9 of 12 measures of emotional and development problems and the use of mental health treatment, in general, children of parents in same-sex relationships are about two to three times more likely to experience some problems. They are 4.5 times as high for uh, problems among children living with their married biological parents, three times as high as children living with a married step-parent, 2.5 times as high as those with cohabitating parents, and three times as high as children with a single parent. There are now many moving first-hand testimonies available. See Don Stefanowski's testimony of life with her prom- prom- promiscuous gay dad and Dennis Schick's story of life with a selfish cross-dressing father. Homosexuals and health problems. In every area of life, gay activists apply their egalitarian formula to posit a moral equivalence between homosexuality and normalcy. Heterosexuality. But what Dr. Sullen wrote in 2004 remains true today. Like abortion, homosexuality is associated with increased problems of mental health and distress. Though rarely acknowledged in popular media or discourse, emerging epidemiology evidence in the past decade have clearly established a link between homosexuality and mental illness or emotional problems. The Obama administration's successful campaign to allow male homosexuals to donate blood has exposed how the LGBT lobby is more concerned about scoring another gay right win than protecting our nation's blood supply. It is as if many thousands of stories over the last few decades, including those about AIDS, show the high correlation between men who have sex with men and various disease had never been published. Consider these facts from the CDC. HIV. In 2011, astonishing 94 to 95% of new HIV cases among males aged 13 to 24 was from gay sex. Syphilis. 84% of new syphilis cases were from male to male gay sex. Hepatitis. 
New research shows that gay men who are HIV positive and have multiple sex partners may increase the risk for hepatitis C. Shingalosis. Anyone can get shingalosis, but it's recognized more often in young children. Those who may be at greater risk include children in daycare centers, foreign travelers to certain countries, institutionalized people, people exposed to human feces through sexual contact. More than 25 years ago, Americans were shocked as gay activists and educators introduced children picture booth book, Daddy's Roommate and Heather Has Two Mommies to indoctrinate children into the gay family as natural. Now a new generation of young children is growing up with a picture book like My Princess Boy that popularized and glamorized transgenderism. Unless citizens demand an end to the media's incessant promotion of gay and transgender agenda, it will be too late to return America to a state of sexual sanity. Now, I know that's a really harsh article. And they prefaced with, or pressive with, they pressed it, good lord, they previewed that it would be harsh. But all the stuff I read on here that all the time demeans everybody who doesn't believe this dogma you know, this time I threw I threw it in the wind. Now, I would never say this about somebody because, once again, I'm a person that's lived 50 years almost on this planet with you do you, I do me. I don't give a crap. But when the dogma pushes fake falsities, and as we've proven on the show over and over, almost every one of the studies has ever gone before the Supreme Court and pushed all this bullshit was a pro-cause. It was pro-abortion. That was the only data that went up there. It was pro-gay. It was pro-transgender. You never hear objective studies, which is the basis of scientific research. Unbiased. Not slanted. But as we see with climate change is slanted, we see with gay, we see it with transgender, we see it with abortion. You're pushed all the time because the scientists doing it, the media that's covering it, the celebrities, the movies, the TVs, the newspapers. We are surrounded by bias that always promotes these ideas. And during the Clinton administration, you know, my kids learned that oral sex wasn't sex. During the Obama administration, I did a poll of every kid who went in our house. When we had conversations, we knew him for a while. And pretty much emphatically, they they thought gay was normal. It was just a normal thing. Transgender was normal. Scientifically, it's not normal. As we are all creatures on the planet to procreate, you can't procreate with two sticks. You can't. And then all the data that this is great for kids, when the data proves it makes it harder for kids, their lives are harder, and you could say it was because of the bias and the homophobia, but it's harder on the children. And then they have more of a proclivity to be gay, transgender, whatever. I know what fits in the Jill Flippific and the latest don't have kids concept that the earth's too you know, too, too populated with stupid fucking red staters. So stop having kids be gay, but it's lying. Next article, not born this way. New scientific analysis questions L G B T orthodoxies. 
A new report that examined nearly 200 peer-reviewed studies on sexual orientation and gender identity concluded that science hasn't confirmed key theories about the subject, including the belief homosexuals are born that way. And it rejects surgical and hormonal intervention for children who identify as transgender or on the grounds that a large majority of such children outgrow identities that conflict with their biological sex. Examining research from the biological, psychological, and social sciences, this report showed that some of the most frequently heard claims about sexuality and gender are not supported by the scientific evidence. Reads an introductory note by Adam Kuyper, editor of the New Atlantis, a leading journal of science, technology, and ethics that published the report Sexuality and Gender. The report has special focus on the higher rates of mental health problems amongst LGBT population and questions the scientific basis of trends and treatment of children who do not identify with their biological sex. Once again, at the end of the day, the left pushes and the media pushes because, well, they're getting called gay, transgender, uh, queer, whatever. That's not the case. The report takes no position on related public policy debates and legal questions regarding same-sex marriages or bathrooms. The author makes clear that people who struggle with a range of sexuality and gender issues need the highest standard of care, and they call for an additional research to provide a solid foundation. Science, not politics. In this preface to the report, Mayer presents sexuality and gender as a work of science, not a political manifesto. An epidemiologist trained in psychiatry who is a full-time tenured professor for more than 40 years, he held appointments at Princeton, Pennsylvania, Stanford, ASU, John Hopkins, Bloomberg, School of Public Medicine. None of those are right-leaning. Mayor was inspired to co-author the report, he said, after initial research stirred grave concerns about the LGBT community's poor mental health outcome. I dedicate my work on this report first to the LGBT community, which bears a disproportionate, disproportionate rate of mental health problems. We must find ways to relieve their suffering. Among the dedications, he gives special attention to children struggling with sexuality and gender. He also dedicated the report to scholars doing impartial research on topics of public controversy. May they never lose their way in political hurricanes. The latter dedication underscores growing concerns that academic researchers can be influenced by powerful ideological currents that have paved the way for legalization of same-sex marriage and a range of accommodations for transgender people. And critics of these ideological perspectives contend the researchers face pressure to support the new orthodoxy on sex and gender, citing the case of Mark Regenerus, which we covered, a sociology, sociologist at the University of Texas Austin, who was threatened with loss of tenure for publishing his study. Sexual Orientation When addressing questions about a genetic basis for same-sex orientation, the authors are careful to distinguish between scientific evidence and untested hypothesis. On one hand, they note the existence of a large studies of identical twins that point to some role of genetic factors in the development of sexual orientation, while noting that the concept of sexual orientation itself scientifically problematic because of its elastic definition. At the same time, they cite other findings that point to the complex interplay of other factors that strongly suggest sexual orientation is not predetermined. Are gay people born that way it requires clarification. There is virtually no evidence that anyone gay or straight is born that way. If that means their sexual orientation was genetically determined, the report explains, and they break down the twins. 
that show it's not true. <clears throat> they then break down other issues. What other factors could foster same-sex attraction? The authors considered research pointing to a casual link between non-heterosexual behavior in adults and experience of childhood sexual abuse and bullying by peers. According to a 2011 meta-analysis of 37 North American studies, non-heterosexuals were 2.9% likely to report sexual abuse as children and non-heterosexual adolescents were 1.7 times more likely to have been attacked or threatened by peers. Along with many other factors, social context and values clearly play some role, said the author. For example, researchers have found that young people who attend college or who live in urban areas are much more likely to identify as homosexual than their peers reside in rural areas. The authors caution against the contemporary belief that individuals who have experienced same-sex attractions need to identify as having a gay sexual orientation and express such an orientation romantically and sexually. We may have some reason to doubt the common assumption that in order to live happy and flourish lives, we must somehow discover the innate fact about ourselves that we call sexuality or sexual orientation and invariably express it through particular patterns of sexual behavior or particular life trajectory. Perhaps we ought instead to consider what sort of behavior, whether in the sexual realm or elsewhere, tend to be conducive to health and flourishing, and what kind of behaviors tend to undermine healthy, flourishing life. To health problems, 41% of transgender individuals have attempted suicide. National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, National Center for Transgender Equality, incited in the report, in contrast, 4.6% of the overall U.S. population. What, what's behind the disparity? Some efforts have put forward a social stress model explain poor mental health outcomes. The social stress model posits that the experience of stigmatization and family relationship school in the community lead to it. Federal and state governments have enacted anti-discrimination statutes and hate crimes in an effort to prohibit discrimination against this community and promote psychological well-being. The author agreed that the social stigma can inflict deep emotional wounds, but they also call for well-designed studies that can test the social stress hypothesis. It's the first time I've ever read it's a hypo- it's not even proven. Once again, we're always told it's because of everybody else. Further, while the social stress model is often cited to explain the poor mental health outcomes, the report argues that a more robust, multifaceted approach is needed to help the community. At this time, the medical and social strategies for helping non-heterosexual population in the United States is quite limited, and this may be due in part to relatively limited explanation for the poor mental health. Gender identity questions. The report also questions the scientific basis for academic gender theory orthodoxy, which sharply distinguished between the male, female, binary, biological sex. Developments in feminist theory in the second half of the 20th century further solidified the position that gender is socially constructed, the report notes, citing subsequent arguments to call for the deconstruction of gender roles with the goal of creating a society in which one's sexual autonomy is irrelevant to who one is. Today, Facebook has 58 options. 
The scientific definition of biological sex is for almost all human beings clear, binary, and stable, reflecting an underlying biological reality is not con- contradicted by exceptions to sex typical, sex typical behavior and cannot be altered by surgery or social conditioning. By contrast, gender identity is a social and psychological concept that is not well defined and there's little scientific evidence that it is innate fixed biological property. Facts about human biology should not be forgotten in the rush to embrace new social goals, warned the author. To illustrate their point, they cite one hospital's practice of surgically removing the poorly developed genitalia male infants and giving them female. The parents were directed to raise the boys as girls, but later, and we've already covered this, this is where it all started. All right? There's a doctor, a liberal doctor, started this whole surgery process and started transgenderism as a norm. Welfare of children. Such drastic interventions are identified as particularly problematic in the case of sex reassignment surgeries and hormonal intervention in case of children sometimes as young as two. They say it's troubling. It goes through the same stuff we've already talked about. 80% go back. What science actually says. The authors make clear that the report does not provide an exhaustive review of the subject. Science is by no means the only avenue for understanding these astounding, complex, multifaceted topics. There are other sources of wisdom and knowledge. However, we offer this overview of the scientific literature in the hope that it can provide a shared framework for intellectual enlightenment, discourse, and political, professional, and scientific exchanges. In his remarks to the Register, McHugh suggests that witness claims the personal testimony of individuals who experience same-sex attraction or others who don't identify with their biological sex have fueled much of the public debate. McHugh affirmed the substantial values of personal testimony, but he also believes the LGBT community and general public should be aware of the body of knowledge. Today, many claims about sexuality and gender are being made with suggestions that science reports these claims. And that's not true. There's just no evidence to back any of this. Any of it. It's just not there. We have been duped just like we have a climate change with biased, pro-gay, pro-trans, pro-LGBT by a media that's pro-LGTB because they're all liberal. And we've been forced by a Democratic Party to live within a dogma that you can no longer have an opinion. So further studies are biased by that. I mean, look at Regenerous, who we covered on the show, was threatened for proving facts. The guy was a lib. But once again, you can't color outside the lines in the Democratic Party. If you do, you shall be punished. So I wanted to touch it one more time. It's a difficult subject. And I close as I close every time I do this subject. I don't give a shit. Do you. But while you're doing you, you have to understand not everybody's going to want to be you or believe what you believe. Requiring people to believe there are 58 pronouns is like me expecting everybody to only eat Jets pizza and root for the Green Bay Packers. We'll go straight into segment four. Stop promoting the work of straight white scientists. This is an actual WAPO article. 
<sighs> why these professors are warning against promoting the work of straight white men. Is that really going on here? Well, sort of. Academics and scholars must be mindful about using research done by only straight white men, according to two scientists who argue that it oppresses diverse voices and bolsters the status of already privileged and established white male scholars. Geographers Carrie Mott and Daniel Cockney argued in a, or excuse me, Danielle, maybe it's Daniel, in a recent paper that doing so also perpetuates what they call white heteromasculinism. That's a new version of misogyny, I guess. Which they define as a system of oppression that benefits only those who are white, male, able-bodied, economically privileged, heterosexual, and cisgendered. Maud, a professor at Rutgers, and Cockney, who teaches at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, argued that scholars or researchers disproportionately cite the work of white men, thereby unfairly added adding credence to the body of knowledge they offer while ignoring the voices of other groups like women and black male academics. I'll initially take the unusual position of acknowledging that citations in the scientific community publish or perish environment are an ongoing concern. Getting your work peer-reviewed anyway, for that, for what it's worth these days anyway, and published in any prominent venue is tough enough. But having your paper cited as a reference by others repeatedly definitely can be help in your career. It's a fact all over academia and even in certain aspects of the private sector. If the largest publication consistently go to the same sources over and over, it can see, I can see how that would be viewed as disadvantageous to up and coming scientists. If that's where the authors of this paper had stopped, there wouldn't be much to argue about. But the entire thing goes pear-shaped when you began dragging in issues of race, gender, and sexual orientation. This is particularly true when you begin tossing out phrases such as the views and knowledge that are representative do not reflect the experience of people from other backgrounds. Wait a minute. Weren't we talking about science? Does the atomic weight of a carbon change when measured by men and then women? Does a Bunsen burner lit by a lesbian scientist produce more or less heat than one ignited by her straight colleagues? In short, when you publish the findings of your work, aren't you delivering scientific facts which are the same no matter who is involved in the work? It's attitudes such as this which immediately take what might otherwise be a valiant, com- valiant complaint and set it up for mockery. We can certainly have debate over whether enough women or minority students are going to, to and excelling in the STEM fields and becoming scientists. I like to go so far as to say it would be worth digging around the universities to find out if those minority students and researchers are being published at equal rates. But once the work is done and published, it's all equally worthy of citation if the results are valid and useful. Perhaps a better approach would be to encourage researchers to make sure that they're looking at a wide enough field of research material with an eye towards using lesser known but valuable sources rather than relying on the same material all the time. This was the real article I'm not going to read, but feminist scientists citing straight white men promotes oppression. I covered this after the subjects we just covered because... It rings home. We are talking about science, facts, not opinion, 
proven statistically. And what we've learned in this podcast, be it LGBT, be it global warming, doesn't matter. All of this is based on dogma. We're no longer basing things on facts. We're going on dogma. And that's the exact opposite of what science is supposed to be. To a music break and news, social media nuggets.
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Stop. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Senior Drum Soldier of Platoon 3044. Uh, for me, I'm really passionate about what I do. Um, I love the Marine Corps. I love everything the Marine Corps has to offer. And the thought of being able to put a little bit of Sergeant Atwood into the Marine Corps and influence the Marine Corps in a positive way um, just fascinated me. Um, being able to influence you know, young kids' lives and to doing something that I'm passionate about and what I love to do is, is, is a great feeling to me. around recruits and seeing the transition that they go from forming to second phase, third phase, and initially graduation um, is the best reward that you can possibly imagine. Being able to go back to the fleet and seeing some of them in your unit that you go back to or hearing about them from your old unit saying that, you know, you were their drill instructor, you were their senior drill instructor, and how positive of an influence they make on that unit, it's, it's, it's pretty rewarding. Examination, operation, execution. Coordinating the instruction. That end result of all the hard, you know, hard times and, and effort that you put into and sacrifices and, and the things that you expect to go into training a, a civilian into a recruit into a marine is is has to be the most memorable. The look on their families' faces of of their child that they sent out coming back a man transformed it's a pretty good feeling how to play that i was a drill instructor and i thought that was a pretty good thing it was really really rewarding while the u.s army is falling apart this is a task and purpose article and i'd ask everybody to go out and read it i'm not going to read it to you because i've read a lot today but it really breaks down 
where we are. Some of it, I believe, and it's touched in the article, but it really comes down to our system as a republic. You go left, you go right, you go left, you go right. And it's hard for a military to stay strong when we're always building up and drawing down and building up and drawing down. Um, I've always said that we need a standing order. This is our level, and this is what we're staying at. And I think if we did that, it would be better for our safety as a country. Um, you bleed the force. And you have people that get out. And now with these new shifts to retirement and everything, it's going to be hard to keep a, a, a good force. And, you know, for you lefties that are anti, um, you know, defense spending, uh, Sight every time we've drawn down the worst and had a major war, people like you got to kid up. Dunkirk is easily the best movie of the year so far. That is just the title of one review. I could read 90 reviews. It is blowing up all over the place. Um, I plan on going to it. Uh, I'm in a military town. I'll wait a couple weeks before I go because it'll be pretty crowded. All I can say is I love this country. World War II veteran finally awarded Purple Heart at 94. And James Wood tweeted it. Humble World War II vet has finally awarded his Purple Heart. A true hero gets his due. I thought it was a fantastic little ceremony. I was going to play the sound bite, but um, it's just it's exactly that. I love my country. Um, great to see guys like that. The greatest generation was just awesome. Okay, to the crazy. Oregon bike tax between 8000 and 15000 right off our bottom line, local shop says. An Oregon estate known for his avid bicycling, the state legislator approved the first bike tax. De- Democratic Governor Kate Brown is expected to sign the sweeping $5.3 billion transportation package, which includes a $15 excise tax. On the sale of bicycles costing more than $200 with a wheel diameter of at least 26 inches. Even though the funding has been earmarked for improvements that will benefit cyclists, the tax tax has managed to irk both anti-tax Republicans and environmentally conscious bikers. Bike Portland publisher Jonathan Miles called it an unprecedented step in the wrong direction. We are taxing taxing the healthiest, most inexpensive, most environmentally friendly, most efficient, and most economically sustainable form of transportation ever devised by the human species. It's aimed to raise 1.2 million per year in order to improve and expand paths and trails. And this just goes on and there's a lot of whining and craziness. You know what? You're the tax people. You love taxing. You love all those bike. I mean, in Oregon, if you've never been there, man, their bike paths are the size of a car path. It's insane. That's why they have so much damn traffic. Oops. Vogue gender politics under fire for cultural appropriation. Cultural appropriation is just for bar, baroque or bar, barbecue and white people dreadlocks anymore. I'm sorry. I read that totally crazy. It's now oppressive towards a gender-bending community. How dare Zayn Malik avoid wearing a ball gown and makeup for Vogue? Cosmopolitan contributor Jacob Tobiah was significantly peeved by Vogue's cover shoot of singer Zayn Malik and model Gigi Hadid because Vogue described the stars as embracing gender fluidity. In the liberal universe, 
There's no higher compliment, right? Wrong. Why? Because neither of these celebrities are apparently gender fluid goals. Ultimately, Vogue committed the moral sin of cultural appropriation by dressing a woman in a blazer. Yeah. In a blazer. Not reading the rest. That's how stupid these people are. Moms have a good reason for burning Vogue over anal sex explainer. Listen to this mom, and then I'm going to read parts of the article. Hi, I'm Elizabeth, and I'm the activist mommy. I cannot believe what this teen Vogue piece of trash has printed in its June edition. They are teaching children 11 through 17, that's the target audience of this magazine, Teen Vogue, children 11 through 17, how to be safely sodomized. Yes, they are teaching kids how to have anal intercourse. We should not be teaching children, period, how to have sex. Look at what's in this magazine for teenagers. Teaching kids how to masturbate here, here, all about homosexual sex, gender fluidity. Oh, yeah. Lena and Grace Dunham, real role models for our teenagers. Parents, I am asking you to go to your local gas stations, your local libraries, and your local grocery stores and ask to speak to the manager or preferably the owner and demand that they remove Teen Vogue from the shelves immediately. These editors' brains are in the gutter. Now let's put their sales in the gutter where they belong. Teen Vogue is garbage. The editors' minds are in the garbage. The authors' minds are in the garbage. Don't let your kids read garbage. So I saw it and I thought, well, maybe she's going a little... No, she's not. The Guide to Anal Sex... They have pictures that break it down. What you need to know. How to do it the right way. Remember, this is Teen Vogue. You shouldn't know about anal sex till you go to prison, okay? When it comes to your body, it's important that you have the facts, but being in the dark is not doing your sexual health or self-understanding any favors. With this sentiment in mind, we're here to lay it out for you when it comes to anal sex. It's important that we talk about all kinds of sex because not everyone is having or wants to have penis-to-vagina sex. If you do have penis in the vagina sex and are curious about something else or finding the type of sex is not for you and you just like to explore other options, it's helpful to know the facts. Even if you do learn more and decide anal sex is not a thing you like to try, it doesn't hurt to have the information. If you're not comfortable reading about anal sex, that's perfectly okay too. We have plenty of articles. You're a loser. Go the fuck away. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff on the internet about anal. We don't suggest you Google it. But most of what you'll find is either porn or advice for an experienced sexual person looking to try something new. What about the teenager? What about the LGBTQ cosine of four young people who do need to know about their sexual health? Oh, that's what you're doing. I have you got you covered. With all the run-of-the-mill hoopla, here's a lowdown on everything you know about butt stuff. No matter who you are, whom you're having sex with, or you want to sex with. This is Anal 101 for Teens. 
Why anal? Anal sex, though often stigmatized, is a perfectly natural way to engage in sexual activity. People have been doing it back to the Greeks, just like they've been jumping off prisons, so you do it too. The anus is full of nerd endings that for some feel awesome when stimulated. The opening of the butthole is where the most nerves are, so you don't have to put anything that far there, if you don't want to, for it to feel good. That being said, anal, like all sex, is not enjoyed by everyone, and that's okay. You do what you feel comfortable with. What pe- feels pleasurable for you, there's no wrong way to experience sexuality. The peel for anal when you have a prostate. For those of you the prostate, it feels great, but that doesn't mean it just has to be a prostate, blah, blah, blah. The anus is is not as malleable as a vagina. It's a fit to have a child's head, but the anus is tight. How to ask your partner if they want to try anal. Whether you're planning to give or receive anal, a conversation must take place beforehand, or else you're going to get smacked in the goddamn face for any males have tried it with female. Start slow. Seriously. Here's the real deal. You can't just decide you're going to start having anal one day. You... And go anchors away. Anchors away. Isn't that cute? Great idea. You need to start slowly. Start with a finger or a butt plug. I'm not reading anymore. Because then they talk about lube and everything else. Pink news, which is gay news. A tweet storm defending Teen Vogue anal sex guide is going viral. And it's brilliant. Whether they don't know or didn't care, the response to the article by sex educator Gigi Engel was unbridled fury for Christian Puritans. We're back into the Christians only. Just like the last podcast with, well, unless you want to be raped behind a dumpster by conservatives, because that's what all conservatives do. The guide, which is aimed at teen beginners and inquisitive folk, included strong emphasis on how to have safe, pain-free, consensual sex. In a 20-post-long tweet storm, McCarty accused the article's detractors of homophobia. He wrote about how, because of his Christian schooling, he had no idea how HIV was contracted. And Picard, yeah, a gay guy, pointed that education doesn't equal encouragement. I monitor the webmaster mail and have been inundated with hate mail saying we promote sodomy and want teens to get AIDS. Fast forward to your froster at NYU, me crying at Cal and Lord Community Health Center because I just slept with someone who I found out was HIV positive. That kind of folks at Cal and Lord taught me about HIV AIDS, what it is, and how it got contracted. They also told me to get tested regularly. So basically, Christians aren't talking about all the sex we can have and we're not preparing us. In conclusion, here's my only reply I'll be giving to any of these messages. And he had a picture of him kissing some dude. And he made sure it was a black dude because he's a white guy. And it was just a big old PC, social justice warrior, goat rope. Jesus Christ. Why would a teenager need to know about anal sex? Why? Why? Why do they think that was proper? Why don't we just... Get them regular sex ed. But it's the world, man. Feminist critics trash this new doctor who are not for not being black and transgender. This chick is a goddamn work of art. I I I just I I I just don't understand what the fuck is wrong with people. So I for shits and grins, here's our YouTube channel. Is the crowd dispersed now? No, 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 no. 
still out there, but unarmed, which is chanting, you know, standard death to America stuff. From True Lies to American Sniper, from 24 to Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Western media is full of images of evil brown people who need to be wiped from the earth by noble, righteous white men heroically fighting for freedom and justice. And sure, it's so commonplace by this point that maybe you don't even bat an eye at old-fashioned American Islamophobia in our media. Yeah, I stopped right there. Because that sums up why she is upset her doctor's not black or gay. Really? Islamophobia media. What what media are you watching? Because the media does shit like this. NBC News site offers LGBTQ books for your summer reading so you can get indoctrinated into their crazy ass dogma. Kind of like China. China censors banned Winnie the fucking Pooh. Yeah. Because they use them to make fun of Chinese doggone leaders. Yeah. Okay. All that just goes together for me. All that shit. Just goes straight together. Let's get off of stupid. Strange signals that appear to be coming from star close to Earth may have been sent by aliens. Astronomers have picked up a communication in May and refused to rule out the possibility that E.T. sent that shit. Stargazers have received some very peculiar signals while observing a distant dwarf star... It was, uh, okay, it's Ross 128, 11 light years away on 12 May at 155. Uh, it was cross-referenced by a bunch of goddamn people, and this is what it sounds like. And that shit reminds me of Contact, doesn't it? I love that movie, man. I'm a space geek. If you notice, I always have a space story in the news and social media nuggets because it's the coolest. This one cracked me up. Weed killer turns neighbor against neighbor in farm country, and somehow somebody over weedy, they put some chemicals and it flowed into their shit, and it's a Hatfield and a goddamn McCoy's out there. It was in Arkansas, which, once again... If you followed the show, I used to think work out there, and yeah, there's some interesting people. Great white shark nearly as long as a car spotted off North Carolina coast. 
weighing a thousand pounds is a 12.5 foot, 1,326 pound mature great white shark. To give you a comparison, it's the size of a Toyota and a Honda Civic, which is 15 feet long. Wow. To our weird internet stuff or IT stuff, the latest web pages are going retro. Uh, Arcade Fire's coming album, Everything Now, users need to click through a cluttered cascade of Windows 98 style pop-ups. Bellingasia new website looks like Microsoft Excel with no feels frills area font. DIY looking homepage for salons resembles an iMac from back in the day, and it's a new theme that even SquarePeg Space is doing. Everybody's going back to the old web pages, and I think it's kind of interesting because I've seen some of them, and it reminded me of the days on Doggone Dial Up. Pretty good shit. There will be a holy war, is the sensational title. But a time capsule letter found after 22 years make eerily accurate predictions about the future. Greg Wilkinson envisioned global conflicts and the growth of major country in 1995. A time capsule letter uncovered 22 years after it was written makes these predictions. A vision of life in 2060 was found by a tradesman, Sasha Illick, and um, loaf of bread, pint of milk. Some of the stuff he put on this is unbelievably accurate, including some of the hard drives that would be into terabytes. And he's right. Because I think my first computer had like a 25... No, it wasn't 25, but it was like 250... No, it was more than that. I think it was one gig. No, it wasn't one gig. 500 millibytes. Something like that. It was really small. And it was a gaming computer. And yes, I just did freaking air quotes. I wish I could look up what it actually had. But I, I know it was under a, a gigabyte. It was unbelievable. And I thought I was hot shit. And I paid $3,000 for it. And now I have a laptop that I paid 300 bucks for that has, you know, four gigabytes of RAM and half a terabyte and the computer I'm recording on has got two terabyte and 16 gigs of RAM and it, shit. I can't even believe I played games on that thing. Facial recognition coming to police body cameras. This is going to be some scary shit. It's going to feed into the doggone database and folks, they're going to be able to recognize everybody. Uh, DARPA is actually heading it up. With a company called uh, the company's uh, the program is called Synapsis, and uh, they've been working for a long time on this. So pretty soon, your cops will be able to identify people, just like the cameras grab up on license plates. You'll be able to get up in a cop's face, talk shit to him, and he'll arrest you because he'll already know you have warrants. Which leads us to our lighter fare. Okay, to some funny tweets, Razor, the Hail Razor version, 2009, we'll undo it if we win the House, 2013 if we win the Senate, 2015 if we win the POTUS, 2017 if we grow our majority, and that's of course against the Republicans, because they just are a soup sandwich right now. CBS News does a Freudian slip, Chipotle shits down a restaurant in Virginia after report of a small number of customers becoming ill. That's why I don't eat at Chipotle, because just like Taco Bell, that's the result of me eating it. 
to the cult that is the left. And I put it in the lighter fare because it's just fucking insane. Ryan Teague Beckwith tweeted the following. Camellia Harris devotional candle. And yes, it is a religious candle with her first, her face superimposed over Jesus. But it's not a cult. Not a cult at all. Caitlyn Jenner and Kid Rock are running for Senate. Yeah. That, that's a true thing. I, I didn't make that up. That's real. And I find that funny. Allison Camerata, I said we're going to talk on the backside. Why I'm breaking up with Twitter. She said this July 12th. She's working for a Pulitzer and an Emmy because when you're done with this, you know, I, I just, I, I, I just don't understand why the media makes themselves the news. But here we go. Dear Twitter, attention trolls. It's over. I'm breaking up with you. Imagine the, in fact, I'll, I'm going to put violence behind this shit. I know it's sad. We've been together a long time. Remember my first tweet in May 2009? Happy Mother's Day. My God, listen to how hopeful I sounded. Back then I believed your promises that you'd help me connect with people, that you'd be an agent for good in the world, and that you'd get my message out and you'd help build a community. Back then you'd surprise me with flower emojis and thoughtful comments. Back then it was still thrilling to check in with you every day to see how many new followers you brought me. Those were the days. But something happened to you. You're a shadow of your former self, the one I was first attracted to. It's no fun to be with you anymore. You become mean and verbally abusive. In fact, you gross me out. You're a cesspool of spleen venting from people who think it's acceptable to insult other people in public anonymously. I don't mean to be harsh. Occasionally you try to be nice. Thoughtful person sneak through with a positive comment or constructive criticism. And I want you to know how much those messages have meant to me. It's wonderful to get compliments. and You've certainly given me fodders full. I've also appreciated the respect, respectful disagreement from kind followers who have opened my eyes to angles and insights I hadn't considered for years. These comments made all the negativity worth it, especially coming from those users who stood up for me and fought the trolls on my behalf. God bless them, but I feel bad having other fights my fights, other fight from my fights. Like me, I'm sure they're busy with jobs and children, raised, and don't have time for the hate. Of course, some of this is my fault. I've been leading you on. I've made you think I like you more than I really do. The truth is, I haven't cared about you for a long time. In fact, I've been avoiding you. I go weeks at a time without reading you, leaving you to the prattle on thinking you have my attention, or worse... Stewing your own nasty juices, yelling in all the caps, imagining that I'm listening. But I'm not. I checked out long ago when you became a buzzkill and a bore. I don't like thinking of people using you typing away with nothing but a keyboard and a chip on their shoulder. But that's the company you keep. You're hang- hanging out with people who find satisfaction spewing vitriol, people who spread racism, misogyny, and anti-Semitism. Perhaps it's worse than I know. Maybe you're struggling with addiction, addiction to outrage. It's a powerful drug. I wish it could help you kick it. I feel it's pull sometimes too, but I don't want to be sucked in. All I can do is save myself for a better dark, a bitter dark places where you like to dwell. 
So I'm done. I'm moving on. I'm looking for something else, something real and lasting, something that involves actually people, not nearly 48 million bots. I prefer my real friends over fake humanoids run by computers and true trolls filled with genuine venom. Call me old-fashioned, but I like hearing viewers' real thoughts, not the ones special intergroups pay them to tweet. And to the tens of thousands of folks who took time to follow me, I trust we'll find a kindler place to reconnect. So listen, Twitter, maybe sometimes in the distant future we can be friends again. Maybe you'll become more thoughtful and I'll be excited to see your icon on my screen again. But I'm not hopeful. Until then, I'm logging off, killing my account, and know this, I won't miss you for a second. What a freaking drama queen. The reality is, she edited shit, and a guy tweets, Propaganda Princess can't handle the real world, so she's leaving Twitter. James O'Keefe tweeted, Well, you know, look at our piece. You selected the edited stuff. I believe it's Gorka. Here's an interview with Gorka, where her lib ass got her ass handed to her. As national security comes first. Uh, Mr. Gorka, I want to ask you about something that's been in the news for the past two days, and that, of course, is Don Jr.'s meeting with a Russian lawyer who seemed to be offering up some sort of damaging information about Hillary Clinton. Was it a good idea for Don Jr. to meet with this Russian lawyer? Was it a good idea for the DNC to send its operatives to the Ukrainian embassy? I'm not sure that answers opposition. my question. No, I, you know, if there's a meeting that was wholly appropriate, but which led to nothing, let's compare that to the DNC sending its people to the Ukrainian embassy to coordinate oppo attacks mm-hmm. against our candidate. I mean, if you want to see collusion, uh-huh. it's in the DNC. So, I mean, it is so, but up you're, to okay, so, so just let me follow your line of logic. You're saying it's inappropriate for the Democrats to meet with a foreign country, Ukraine, but it's not inappropriate for your campaign for Donald Trump to meet with the Russians. Uh, what do you mean the foreign. Russians? Was it, who did this woman work for at the time? Do you know? Well, this she did is not the work question, the Mr. Gorka. I mean, this is what investigators are obviously I'm trying it. to. What, what is the answer? Who? Who? What is her connection to the Kremlin? There was no connection. She was a private lawyer who had an interest with regards to the Russian adoption program and used a pretext to get a meeting uh, with the campaign, which, which the campaign representatives almost immediately realized was not done in good faith, that she had another agenda. That's right, but they wanted, what's funny, Mr. Gorka, is that they wanted the original agenda. They wanted the dirt. Which is what, which is what political campaigns do, but we don't meet on the soil of foreign nations at their embassies to get opposition research. I mean, if you want to look at a real story, Mm -hmm. that's the story. Oh, my gosh. If you want to look at a real story, the 126 leaks of national security importance Mm -hmm. in the first 125 days. I saw what you did yesterday with Kellyanne, 35 minutes on this one issue. Have you ever at CNN dedicated 35 minutes to the 125? six leaks against this administration, well, seven times the average of the leaks under the Obama yes. administration, the Bush administration. Now, that's a story worthy of CNN coverage. Um, we obviously cover lots of things along the spectrum, but I know that yeah, you do you, what you, Kellyanne, you, you hold play. on, Mr. Gorka, one second, because you do what Kellyanne also does, which is try to deflect back to the Hillary Clinton campaign. I understand that tactic, but the question is that why then, if this was also on the up and up, did the president's son, Don Jr., not dis- not only not disclose it, but didn't 
actually used the right story when first asked about it. He claimed that the meeting was about adoption, but that wasn't what the real story was. And he's not alone. I mean, let me just pull up this graphic for you of the seven people connected to the Trump campaign somehow. Michael Flynn, Jeff Sessions, Jared Kushner, Paul Manafort, Don Jr., Carter Page, J.D. Gordon. None of them adequately disclosed their meetings with Russians until the press found out about it. What's going on? That went on for nine minutes. She was a Democrat. He had to defend the president. She's a fucking troll. She's a troll for the DNC. And she has no moral compass because she spent years on Fox pretending to be conservative. Now she is a Democrat. She's been caught deceptively editing things. She's a piece of shit. If you can't handle people telling you the truth, it's not the, the trolls. It's not people saying mean shit. It's people not inflating your ego for you. So goodbye. I had a segment to end on the real violent speech problem. This is an incredible argument or article that goes down through the Antifa websites and their hate mail. And we're going to cover it on our next podcast. I'm going to push it and make it a segment. Because it's too good just to do too quick like I'd have to do right now. Because we're already over, well, I don't know, we're over two something. So we're going to put that into our next podcast, which is going to be a good one. i got a great subject. I'm going to put this in there. And we will do that probably Friday or Saturday or maybe Monday. I don't know. But we'll get a podcast out. Uh, so I'm going to leave the date open on when I post this one. Because this is like reading the ISIS shit, dude. It's unbelievable. This Antifa shit, it's going down as the website. So your homework, check out, it's going down. Um, we'll also talk about in the next podcast, um, doggone, where is Black Lives Matter? Because as we talk about it, Antifa, they've kind of taken over. And Have you heard anything from Black Lives Matter? Kind of interesting how it's just gone away so this wraps up another episode of flyover politic podcast please feel free to share this with family and friends send a comment about the track by emailing f-o-p-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com fop podcast gmail.com you can get this show on soundcloud podcast addict tune in radio google play itunes blueberry and stitcher remember to check out the flyover politic web page there you can see feeds for the show links to our facebook page and email us additionally you'll see links to our re- episode release page and my blogs on the blog page where I blogged about the podcast we're doing right now. As I just said, our next podcast will either be Friday, Saturday, or Monday. It's a good one. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and a surprise subject that's going to be really, 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 really good. So tune in for it. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Take care of your family and friends. Stop to smell the roses and don't turn on CNN, MSDNC, Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC this weekend. Disconnect. As I've spoken on the show, every Sunday, phone shut off. All I do is watch movies. No news. It has done my soul good. As always, friends, thanks for listening. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor.